Hey besties, Elizabeth here to tell you about Romer Skincare. It's a new skincare line made for male, female, and all of our non-binary friends. So there's no need to customize what you're putting in it. It's made for everyone. A female founded and owned company, it focuses on clean, simple ingredients that everyone can use. Romer's founder, Lauren, wanted to create a skincare routine free of all those harsh chemicals, but could still get the job done. And let me tell you guys, she definitely succeeded. With ingredients like Manuka honey, CBD oil, calendula flower oil, shea butter, prickly pear, white tea, and carrot, your skin's going to say thank you because it's going to look great feel great, and smell great. Romer skincare leaves out the harsh stuff like paraben, sulfates, formaldehyde, and as somebody who works in a lab, you do not want formaldehyde in your skincare. It also eliminates drying alcohol, synthetic fragrances, and artificial colors. So your skin's going to really just be thanking you every day that you use this product. So to learn more about the three-step system, go to romerskincare.com to not only learn more, but purchase your own and use our code horrendous15 for 15% off that first order. And also if Romer skincare wasn't great enough and if Lauren wasn't already amazing enough as it is, a portion of your purchase is going to be donated to environmental causes. So how awesome is that? So what are you waiting for? Go to romerskincare.com and get your own three-step system now. Don't forget to use code horrendous15. Thank you, besties. Salutations and hello. Hello. <laughs> this is Horrendous, a best friend's podcast, B Sides. Yep. Welcome. If you're not familiar, these are our mini episodes we do. And this one in particular is a much needed palate cleanser. We are recording this a week after our next full length episode. And that was a rough one. So. Sorry. It was. That's all I'm going to say. It's just sorry. <laughs> but it needed to, it was a story that needed to be told. It was. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. It was a story that needed to be told. No, I was going to let you finish speaking. But yeah, it was a story that needed to be told. And I, I feel like more podcasts need to talk about it. Absolutely. And again, no shade to any podcast in particular, but the BLM stuff came out. I'm just, I want, I'm going to briefly say this and then we'll move on. When the BLM stuff came out and it was a really popular thing for podcasts to say, well, we're going to cover more stories about people of color. Well, that kind of died down and it, I, it felt very virtue signally to me. So I feel like people should put their money where their mouth is and cover the fucking stories that they said they were going to cover. And if you're going to cover one, cover Tulsa Race Massacre. Yes. 
that's all I will say about it. We appreciate you guys listening to it because we know that it is not, it was not a, I say it, it's not going to be, but you're going to hear it before you hear this. (laughs) It was a very rough episode to do for us. And it's a very rough story to listen to, but it's an important story to listen to. So Callie's going to tell us a tale that's on the lighter side this week. I'm hoping. I Um, hope so. It'll it'll be a nice palate cleanser. And we're going to take time off from the really sad shit for a couple weeks. (laughs) We uh, emotionally, both of us, we need it. Like, yeah, we, I mean, we're, don't get us wrong. We're still going to continue to do the important stories, but we just need a couple weeks off from it. We're going to tell some scary stories, some creepiness. Yes. And just to decompress from that because it was a lot. It was. And I'm sure that I have you guys having listened to it, it was a lot for you as well. So we hope that you're on board with it. But yeah, Callie has a story for us today that. I have never heard before, not familiar with, and you know what? I, I just say we just jump, well, yeah, let's jump right into it. All right. We will do that. So, Elizabeth, Callie. picture this. Sicily, 1922. <laughs> no, Sorry. not quite. I, my daughter's been listening to a lot of, been, been watching a lot of Golden Girls. She's obsessed. And so, you know, that's a Sophia Petrillo. Right. Famous line, if you know, you know. Picture <laughs> Sicily, nineteen twenty-two. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. Not quite. Picturing. <laughs> it's ten years later than that, and it's in Australia. Oh, the not Aussies. Sicily. Paint this picture in your head. It's nineteen thirty-two, and you are a farmer in Western Australia. You're told to increase your wheat crops because of the Great Depression. You need to help feed as many people as possible. Wheat prices keep falling and you're promised assistance in the form of subsidiaries by the government. Then there comes an unforeseen event that ravages your crops, which honestly you should have seen coming. In fact, it was hard to miss as the culprits average five foot seven and Weighs anywhere from 110 to 131 pounds. I was going to say, is it my dad? Because my dad's five foot seven. <laughs> but he's definitely <laughs> not 110 to 131 pounds. Okay, so not Rodney. Got it. Okay. Yeah, not horrendous dad, Rodney. Yes, not my dad. They were pesky emus. So what do you do about this problem? With the help of the government, You declare a war against the emus, of course. I mean, isn't that what you would do? (laughs) (laughs) You froze on my end. I can just hear your giggles. I just really think... (laughs) I did... Freeze. I'm sorry. I'm so the government's answer. Okay, I can see you now. You're not all was to to literally declare war against the emu. Okay, hold on. I had to process that because (laughs) do you remember? I don't know if you remember this. Okay, 
where you know you obviously remember the house I grew up in and where it was at, okay? Because you ha- had been there. Do you remember that at the very end of the road, you know where I'm going with this? We had the people at the end of the road. They were kind of across the road from Lucas's house. Okay. They raised ostriches and emus. Yeah. And so it was a thing that we would ride our bikes down there just to see them. And then we would turn around and drive and, and drive and ride our bikes back <laughs> up. So when Lucas yes. moved into that house, we would literally walk across the road just to catch a glimpse of these things because we were amazed. <laughs> but I feel like, and I know you have a story to tell, but I'm just, so, just stay with me as I process this. I will. I feel like that's just a bit of an overreaction, but okay. I'm I'm gonna buckle in and I'm here for this. Let's you you tell me how this unfolded. Okay, I will. I'm so excited about this story just because the last one was so dark. And can we give credit to your? You're the reason for my life. You're the inspiration. Who gave you? Who gave you the idea for the story? My babyest of brothers. Leanne's true favorite child. Yes. The babyest of brothers, Charon. The babyest of brothers. Mr. Marine himself. Thank you for your service, Jaron. I don't know why thank I you, Jaren. he can't fucking see me. <laughs> but yes, Jaron, thank you for your service. And thank you for this uh, interesting tale that you suggested mm-hmm. to your big sister. Yes. He is excited to listen to this one. I texted him that we were doing it. Well, Jaren, since I know that you're listening, you probably already know this, but you're your mother's favorite. They're yeah. so denying. It's what's it true. feel like? Tell me, Jaren, what's that feel like? Yes. What's it feel what's it feel like? <laughs> Callie and I don't know. Even though Leanne says I'm her other favorite child. Don't think so. <laughs> I don't what's it feel like? What's that I mean, there has to be a lot of pressure, a lot of <laughs> power and responsibility that comes with the title of being Leanne's favorite child. So I need you to, I mean, DM us and, and you know, send us an email, break it down, send an audio clip in. We'll play it. I got enough. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Continue. Thank you, Jaren, for providing the inspiration for this story. Yes. So emus are native to Australia. They migrate from the coastal regions to inland regions each year for breeding. An estimated 20,000 emus realized that the newly cultivated farmland in Campion was a good place for them to breed and to find food. In addition to eating the food that the farmers were growing, they also were responsible for destroying their fences, which allowed rabbits to get in and destroy the crops. So not only well, were, were the emus, disturbers. yeah, <laughs> they weren't only eating the food. The rabbit was also re- eating the food. Oh, the bunnies got in on it. Okay, so we got emus and yeah. bunny, but it was just a war against the emus. Okay, yes. <laughs> Remember the subsidies that the government promised? The government never followed through with them. The government lied? They did. I mean, it's not the American (sighs) government. No. But it's still a government. You mean the government lied to somebody? They did. No. I am shocked. I am too. 
Especially in that time. Like flabbergasted. So they never got those the extra money or anything for the crops. The farmers in the area, a lot of them whom were ex-soldiers from no. World War One, uh-huh. were sent to speak with the Minister of Defense, who was Sir George Pierce, who was also ex-military himself. Uh-huh. His response was to retaliate with machine guns. I mean, that's the best way to get a bird <laughs> off your property. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so funny. That's one way to handle that problem. Or, what way? I mean, yes. I feel like the more rational response in. PETA might come for me because of this. <laughs> I feel like if there was a, short, a food shortage problem, why don't you just kill the emus and, and, and eat them? For a reason? I don't know. If, I didn't know if you ran into that in your research. Like, are they too gamey to eat? Okay. I did not research how an emu tastes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to do it for Which- you. So carry on. Now I feel like I should have. <laughs> well, we're just going to do it live. What does emu taste like? Emu meat is like beef in that it contains myoglobin, proteins that hold oxygen and make meat red. It tastes a lot of beef, even though it, it tastes a lot like beef, even though it's a bird. Do emus taste good? Its flesh is a nutritionist dream. It's lean, hmm. low in cholesterol, high in iron and vitamin C. Emu connoisseurs attest the bird tastes like a fine filet mignon. Sign me up. The selling emu meat is tough business since one bird only yields about 30 pounds of boneless meat. Okay, so therein lies the problem. So they can produce meat, I'm reading, but just not a lot of it. So you'd have to kill a lot of birds. Okay. But I'm feeling like this war is going to... Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. I was kind of curious myself. You know that we almost bought emus before we had, like, cows and stuff on Airport Road, right? Or maybe I, it was between the cows and horses. Knowing what I know of Al, that tracks. Yeah. So we almost bought some. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. It, it's okay. It's just so funny. It's just so ludicrous. It's so absurd. It is. So the war officially started on November 2nd, 1932, when the military traveled to Campion. They found around 50 emus, but the flightless birds were out of range for their guns. The locals attempted to herd the emus into an ambush. However, the birds split into small groups and ran, so they made for difficult targets. The first series of shots was ineffective due to how far away the emus were. A second round of gunfire was able to kill, quote, a number, end quote, of birds. That same day, a flock was encountered and, quote, perhaps a dozen 
end quote, birds were killed. On November 4th, Major Meredith had prepared an ambush near a local dam and over a thousand emus were spotted heading towards their position. This time, they waited until the birds were at point-blank range before opening fire. Wait, hold on. They're still using machine guns, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. Carry on. (laughs) Thankfully for the emus, the gun jammed after only 12 birds were killed and the remaining emus escaped. I feel like, okay, and the reason I wanted to clarify that they were still using machine guns, that's a hell of a, of, of a mess. Yes. At point blank, shooting an emu at point blank range. Because, I mean, shooting anything with, you know, a machine gun from a kind of distance, you're going to tear it off. Like, it's going to be disgusting. I've watched my husband play enough Call of Duty. Like, it's going (laughs) to jack you up. Okay. So, So that's why they couldn't eat the emus because they were so riddled with bullets. But okay, and that's cool, but I'm just saying this they could have avoided all of this by just killing the emus in the first place and then selling the meat. But I digress anyway. Yes. I mean, I know nothing about Australia, so maybe this is how they deal with everything. Who knows? I don't. But I don't know. We have some Australian listeners. Maybe they can tell us. So... We, d- I, I mean, I believe that we do. Australia, answer this question for us, yes. please. Actually, no, Aussies, they have very strict, I shouldn't say strict gun control laws, but they're very, like, <laughs> on top of their gun yeah. control situation. So I feel like this would not be their go-to response anymore. In the days that followed, Major Meredith chose to move further south where the birds were reported to be fairly tame. By November 8th, only six days into the war, 2,500 rounds of ammunition had been fired. Considering so many shots were fired, the emu casualties were not great. The number of birds killed is unclear. One account claims only 50 birds, but other accounts range from 200 to 500 were killed. Fortunately for Major Meredith, the military had not suffered any casualties at the hands of emus, quote unquote. Or the wings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But this is according. The wings or beaks. This is according to his official report. So. Wait, there's even an official report on this? An official report, yes. So Major Meredith said hands quote unquote okay <laughs> dominic severanty and ornithologist summarized mm-hmm. the six days of war as and this is in quotes the machine gunners dreams of point blank fire into the serried masses of emus were soon dissipated the emu command had evidently ordered guerrilla tactics. <laughs> and its unwieldy army soon split up into innumerable small units that made use of the military 
equipment uneconomical. A crestfallen field force therefore withdrew from the combat area after about a month. Uh, (laughs) Really trying not to interrupt you. I apologize. She's forming thoughts. I can see it. So they pulled a, a Mel Gibson from the Patriot? The, the birds did? Mm-hmm. Huh. They did. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm still trying to really process this. Go ahead. She's processing. I'm going to continue. And she will tell, my, <laughs> tell me her thoughts afterwards. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. On November 8th, the Australian House of Representatives discussed the military operation. Following the humiliating negative coverage of the war and the local media, which had claimed that, and in quotes, only a few emus had died, Sir George Pierce withdrew the military personnel and the guns. Major Meredith compared the emus to Sulus, who is an African ethnic group who fought against the British in 1878 Mm -hmm. and commented on how well they did, even when they were badly wounded. And this is in quotes from Major Meredith himself. If we had a military division with the bullet carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They are like Sulus, whom even dum-dum bullets could not stop. After the withdrawal of the military, the emu attacks on crops continues. Yeah, because you pissed them off. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm going to eat even more of your food if you shoot at me. You shot my brother? Well, say goodbye to your wheat. Yes. Farmers again asked for support, citing the hot weather and drought that brought emus and fading farms in the thousands. James Mitchell, the premier of West Australia, lent his strong support to renewal of military assistance. At the same time, a report from the base commander was issued that indicated 300 emus had been killed in the initial operation. On November 12th, so this war started November 2nd, so 10 days later, okay. the Minister of Defense approved the resumption of military efforts. He defended his decision in the Senate, explaining why the soldiers were necessary to combat the serious agricultural threat of the large emu population. The military provided the guns to Western Australian government with the expectation that the government would supply the necessary people. Major Meredith was once again placed in the field due to a lack of experienced machine gunners in the state, which is confusing because a lot of the farmers were ex-military. I guess they just didn't train with the machine guns. Taking to the field on November 13th, the military found success over the first two days, with approximately 40 emus killed. The third day proved to be far less successful, but by December 2nd, which is my grandma's birthday. Birthday, Grandma Jean. 
she would have been one year old. All right. Yeah. (laughs) The soldiers were killing approximately 100 emus per week. Major Meredith was recalled on December 10th, and in his report, he claimed 986 kills with 9,860 rounds at the rate of exactly 10 rounds per confirmed kill. He claimed that 2,500 wounded birds had died as a result of their injuries they had sustained. Despite the problems encountered with the coal, the farmers of the region once again requested military assistance in 1934, 1943, and 1948, only to be turned down by the government. Instead, the bounty system that had been instigated in 1923 was continued, and this proved to be effective. 57,034 bounties were claimed over a six-month period in 1934, two years later. By December 1932, word of the Emu War had spread, reaching the UK. Some conservationists there protested the cold as extermination of the rare emu. Throughout 1930 and onward, exclusion barrier fencing became a popular means of keeping emus out of agricultural areas. I struggle a lot with words. I'm sorry. In November 1950, Hugh Leslie raised the issues of emus in federal parliament and urged army minister Josiah Francis to release a quantity of .303 ammunition from the army for use of the farmers. The minister approved the release of 500,000 rounds of ammunition. Apparently in recent years, References to the Emu War have become a popular internet meme, which I'm sorry, I'm on the internet all the time and I have never seen a meme reference this. Along with it being a popular internet meme, it also inspired a video game entitled Emu War! Exclamation mark. Being a gamer myself, I have never heard of the game emu war Hmm. but it also sounds like it's first person i can't do first person because it makes me sick but to quote my babyest of brothers the emus technically won the war because the military withdrew (laughs) and there has also been no peace treaty signed so thank you jaron for that quote I did not tell you I was going to be using it, but as your big sister, I decided to use it anyway. You have the authority to do it. Yes. And that is what I have on the Great Emu War of 1932. Okay. So, technically, it's still going on. Technically, yes. Because how does an emu sign a peace treaty? I mean, do they hold a pen in their beak? Do they put their talons? From their foot. Into ink and then stamp it onto, like, I mean, I'm, there's, I'm very confused by this whole thing. What a delightful tale. Not necessarily delightful. Delightful is not the right word. Interesting. Never, I've never heard about this before. 
it is humorous <laughs> because it's a real thing that happened that we never heard about. And not only that, it's so absurd it sounds like it's made up. Right. Like when you told me, I'm like, that cannot be a real thing. And Brady just found some emo war memes, so when the episode goes live, we'll post some. Okay, perfect. Yeah, okay. So there you yeah. you have it, folks. The great emu war of nineteen thirty-two. Yeah. I have nothing to add other than being a vegetarian on and off since I was 16, like, it kind of hurts my soul. As somebody who likes animals, it hurts my soul. Like, it's, I like to eat animals, but I'm not about unnecessarily killing them or hurting them. Right. Like, I'm of the Native American belief. Use every part of the animal. Sure. I am okay with that statement. Vegans, I'm sorry. I know that you're not, but... And that's okay. That is okay. I I have some friends that are vegans who are wonderful people, one of which will be doing our theme song soon. Yes. So shout out to Victoria Maximus. Victoria Maximus is the shit. Yes, she is amazing. She was looking fierce and spicy on her Facebook today. Mm-hmm. That is a great color on her. And one day I will look fierce and spicy again, just like her. So You always look fierce. Not spicy, <laughs> but fierce. But I'll take fierce. <laughs> All right, folks. The great Emu War 1932. I really hope it helps people cleanse. Let it be a symbolic saging of the yes. very sad energy from episode 11. 12, 11? 11. 11. Episode 11. Sorry. Yeah, let let this B-side be the sage that cleanses the sad and terrible energy of the Tulsa Race Massacre from your hearts and minds. Yes. But don't... Don't forget Don't about... forget about it. Just don't let it haunt your dreams. Yes. And uh, with that, I that's that's all we got for you folks. Check out the website horrendouspodcast.com because I was I got us our own domain, so no longer horrendouspodcast at wordpress.com, just straight up horrendouspodcast.com. Check out the website, blog is updated as much as I can. We add all of the info for our affiliates on there. All of our social media handles are on there. And uh, and also in the show notes. Absolutely. And then check us out on Patreon if you're feeling froggy. Or become a, suppo- a supporter through Anchor. And yes. help us out that way. Or just, you know. You can listening. join the ranks of Mima and Grandpa. And let me tell you. That is very, very exclusive company to be in. Very. High society there. It is. And with that, this has been Horrendous, a Best Friends podcast, B-side numero six. Is it six? It's six. Oh, wow. You're the evens, I'm the odds. Okay. I'm 
okay with that because your birthday is an odd number and, and you're an is even even number so works out perfectly all right well thank you guys for listening besties we appreciate you yes thank you so much and we will i should i shouldn't say see you but yeah we'll see you around yeah catch you on the next bowling thank y'all thank you bye